That's the song that plays when you walk into the new Leonard Cohen exhibit in the Art Gallery of Ontario in Toronto. The song is called Everybody Knows, and that's also the title of the show. But I didn't know that aside from being a singer and a poet and the composer of the iconic song Hallelujah, the late star was a talented artist in other fields as well. He was a prolific photographer. He did watercolors and ink sketches, even graphic design. Although Cohen did donate some of his personal papers to the U of T years ago after McGill rejected his offer, this exhibit displays roomfuls of items from Cohen's personal family archives, which are now housed in California, and they haven't been seen in public before. We get to see what made Cohen who he was through the ephemera, the stuff that he saved, starting from when he grew up in Montreal to his camp letters to his mother, his report cards, their home movies, and then his book of poetry called The Spice Box, for which he sketched the cover on a piece of cardboard. There are watercolors, his hats and shoes, his guitar, his doodles on restaurant napkins, notebooks, and so many selfies, including with old girlfriends like singer Joni Mitchell. Cohen even liked guns, apparently, and not because of what they were used for, but as beautiful collector's items. Everybody Knows is the title of a song that Cohen wrote in 1987. Uh, we're going to see the original um, draft of that song in a moment. And it was part of his 1988 album, I'm Your Man, and really one of the, the great songs that he ever wrote. And there's a play on words there because, of course, everybody thinks they know who Cohen is, but this exhibition seeks to show aspects of his creative life that have never been seen before. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Thursday, February the 16th, 2023. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. For sure, Leonard Cohen would have been an Instagram star if Instagram had existed in his heyday. Cohen died in 2016, and recently there have been movies and books about him and a giant mural in Montreal. Even Montreal's Contemporary Arts Museum did an exhibit five years ago, but this is completely different. This exhibit sort of gives Cohen himself the last word from the grave, because the curator mines from things that Cohen saved as he documented his daily life, first in Canada, then in the United States, then his travels to Greece, his concert tours, his Buddhism, his concert in Israel in 73, his family life, his search for meaning, his Judaism, and he even took nude shots of himself in the mirror. Now, unlike the Montreal exhibit, the AGOs doesn't have the cooperation of Cohen's two children, Adam and Lorca. They're embroiled in a legal fight with Cohen's former manager, Robert Corey, over who should control the estate and this collection, which Cohen knew would be valuable and a continuing source of interest for both fans and scholars. The exhibit opened in December, it runs until April, and the AGO's deputy director and curator, Julian Cox, spent years putting it together. He took me and the CJN Daily on a private tour. So come along. The first point to make is that with Leonard Cohen, there's always something new to learn. That's that's my uh, short version of it. And this exhibition presents for the very first time to the public uh, very, very private objects from Cohen's personal archives. These are objects and artifacts that have never been shown publicly before. Um, they are intensely private materials that were uh, part of Cohen's sort of reservoir of materials that, that he would dip into uh, as a sort of creative stimulus for uh, his various uh, exploits in poetry, singing and songwriting. And uh, what the exhibition 
is really suggesting is that Cohen is an artist who was exploring his ideas across a variety of different media, not just in the written word, but also in the world of, of images, in, in drawings, in sketches, in printmaking and in photography. And there's a very strong sort of correlation between the, the way that he fashions his ideas with a written word and how he approaches those visual media. So we're just about to enter the uh, main uh, sort of atrium, and it's all in blue. What is the color reason why this painted in blue? I know there is one. <laughs> uh, it's it's the, the blue of uh, Quebec, and of course the, also the blue of the Aegean, the, uh, the Aegean Sea. Just play on a loop as soon as it sees us it comes in. Absolutely, that's it. It's it's playing all five minutes of it all day long. If you look at it, it's almost like a prophet saying about the end of time and you're ruining the world and this is like a, an alarm. It's not just a pop song. So was that a particular choice? I wouldn't say that. I would just say that uh, you're right. I mean, a lot of Cohen's best songwriting and poetry is is deals with universal truths and, and is uh, in its own way prophetic. I mean, one of the verses from Everybody Knows is everybody knows that the plague is coming and it's moving fast. I mean, what could be more prophetic than that and relevant to the times in which we live? But that's just one example. You know, his body of work is f full of a multitude of, of verses, of poems that, that, you know, are deeply sort of connected to uh, the universal truths that, that you know, humankind is navigating so I think that's the the power of great artists they have a way to access that and to um, deliver it in a very um, universal way and this is something that Cohen was um, really uh, what was so satisfying for him in his later life in his ability to tour all over the world and have uh, you know tens of thousands of people at his concerts was the fact that he could, his, his language, his words would be heard and understood and appreciated uh, by tens and tens of thousands of people. That's something that was deeply meaningful to him, not in an ego way, but in a sense of connecting with um, a large swath of humanity, which is what his songwriting is all about. And there's a reason why singer-songwriters like Adele, who's one of the most dynamic and popular uh, musicians, songwriters of, of the current moment, you know, her, the holy grail of lyricists and songwriters for her is Leonard Cohen, because nobody writes better about the complexities of human natures and the, the difficulties of fractured relationships, etc. His writing, of course, is all about his life experience. So he was an, uh, an absolutely inveterate uh, writer of journals. Uh, and, and within his archive, there are hundreds of pocket-sized notebooks in which he would write down the ideas for poems, the, the addresses of, of people that he wanted to go and see, phone numbers of women that he wanted to follow up with, etc. But those journals are the sort of roadmap to his creative inner life. Before we move away, there is something I really wanted you to mention. I know it's on the website as well about this spice box poetry book on a piece of cardboard, but talking about his Jewish influences, this is key. Absolutely. I mean, the, uh, the Spice Box of Earth is the, is the name of uh, Cohen's second book of published poetry in 1961, so it's very early. And uh, really, it's so important 
Cohen's relationship to his home synagogue in Montreal, Shah Hashemayim, is the absolute foundation of everything in his life. I mean, he starts going to synagogue as a, obviously as a young boy, and it's there that he he hears the charge speech of different ceremony and service, and and that gives him the inspiration to put at the very center of his life language and the written word. Uh, so the Spice Box of Earth, the title is related directly to um, the. The, the Sabbath and the, the, the way in which the spice box is, is the, um, ceremonially one uses the spice box at the end of the Sabbath at the Haftalah to kind of liberate the soul and, and get uh, um, sort of close, close to God. And this particular um, spice box is, is sort of sketched out to mimic the kind of beautiful handworked filigree silver that that ceremonial object has in synagogue. Of course, there's also a domestic version of, of uh, the spice box, and we'll see one of those later in the exhibition. But this is the, the ceremonial uh, spice box from, from synagogue. And in the flag here, in the finial, the top of the spice box, he's written in the family name in Hebrew, Cohen because it's a Cohenian, this is the, the family name here. So, and it's written on a very, very, the whole drawing is made on a very humble piece of sort of crumpled cardboard. Well, why didn't this happen in Montreal? I know Montreal Museums had their own exhibits and the mural and, and his whole tie to there, but how did a Toronto museum and you get this great, I guess, in to get all this stuff for the first time from the family trust? There was this deep connection to Toronto that most people don't really know about. I mean, um, he did approach McGill University, his alma mater, to sell them and gift them some of his archives, but they sort of laughed him out of their offices. I mean, in, in his, you know, this is a, a man in his mid-twenties who's saying, I'm going to be a great writer, you should acquire my papers. They, they didn't really take him seriously, but... He's a very charming man, very persuasive man. He, did, he had the same conversation with the librarian at the U of T in 1964 and made this transaction and received you know, a significant amount of money at that time. How much was it? So he, the first transaction was in, was in uh, 1964, $3,700, and then in $66, $5,760. Actually, a meaningful amount of money for a young writer, sort of struggling to to have independence from their family. I mean, Cohen came from a well-heeled, very successful, prominent Jewish family in Montreal. The family were tailors and in the, in the clothing business, um, and they, you know, he was expected to move into business, perhaps be a lawyer. He went to Columbia for a while to study law, had enough of it after a year, and then sort of committed himself to writing. So making those sales of the, of the archives early on was important to him because it gave him independence from his family to, be, to live the life and lead the life that he wanted. So, um, but the fact that so early on, you made the point earlier on, in his 20s, he, he understood the archive to be important to, to him is, is a very profound thing. He had that sense of, of uh, destiny as a young man that he uh, may do something useful with his life and at the very centre of it would be the written word. Where, where to next? <laughs> We should certainly point out there's some wonderful home footage here shot by his father, Nathan, who was a, a prominent um, officer in the Canadian Army, served in the Canadian Army in World War One. And we can see here pictures of Cohen with his older sister, Esther, in Montreal, in Murray Hill Park, just uh, right next door to the Shah Hashemayim Synagogue. See him as a young boy. And you get a sense of the, the comfort and privilege of his upbringing. Um, so this is a, a lovely sort of look into uh, his early life. There's his father. Nathan, who shot most of the footage of the of uh, the home movies, and there's a very 
important rupture in Cohen's life because at the age of nine, his father dies of a heart attack and he is left as the sort of young man of the house. And that has a very significant impact on him emotionally. And it, it really is the beginning of where he doubles down, sort of diving into literature and uh, the written word as a sort of escape from the, from the emotional pain of losing his father so, so young. Um, in the display case here, there's some lovely um, early letters between himself and uh, his mother. Um, there is the, his um, term report from um, the Shah Hashemayim Religious School, where he was a, a student. It gives you a sense of his grades in different classes. Lovely letters between himself and his mother, and you get to see that relationship between mother and son. Um, his report card from summer camp. Um, nice he has great handwriting. I mean, it's uh, these are all very sort of rare objects that give you some uh, insight into Cohen's sort of um, early early life and and uh, the sort of formation of some of the core elements of his uh, of his uh, character. This is a, a lovely handwritten version of the poem, The Gift, which is included in the Spice Box of Earth. But here you get a sense of the, look at how beautiful that is as an object. So you have his written word, but then he's taken the time to decorate the edge of the page, almost like a medieval manuscript illuminator. He understands the, the way that the visual image uh, enhances the written word. And um, he, he, The Flowers for Hitler, uh, which was published in 1964, is the first book of his poems that's accompanied by his own drawings and here we're looking at essentially a doodle of a kind of goat's head skull with the words Fraus for Hitler and inside at the seam there we see him creating his own signature inside a, a form that looks like the, the, the sort of Oedipal eye as it were so so uh, there's from the very beginning a mix of, of um, drawings and sketching along with the written word it's fundamental to the way that he approaches creative life. Over here, we're going to look at a news bulletin from the Shah Hashemayim Synagogue. And you'll see on the right-hand side of the page uh, the poem Prayer for Messiah, which has wonderful, wonderful verse to it with Cohen, and, and it's from 1961. And it gives you a sense of his, yes, it gives you a sense of his relationship to synagogue, which was a you know, lifelong, very, very close to him. No matter how often, how, 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 many, how, how many times he was away from the city, as soon as he came back, he would go to synagogue and meet with the rabbi, uh, get together with the cantors. And, and this beautiful early poem, um, you can hear him reading it in the National Film Board film, Ladies and Gentlemen, Mr. Cohen, Oh, send out the raven ahead of the dove. That's the refrain. It's from the Old Testament uh, when Noah was sort of building the ark. So, um, you know, the, the connection between scripture and Cohen's writing is very, very powerful. And in fact, um, you might even think of Cohen's lifetime's work as creating his own liturgy, but through, through the secular mode. But really, he's taking his inspiration from uh, the Talmud, the Torah, uh, the, the New and Old Testament, as, as sort of uh, interpreted by Roman Catholics, um, Buddhism, Vedanta, Hinduism, even Scientology. You know, he has a close curiosity about Scientology. It's where he meets uh, Suzanne Elrod, who's the mother of his two children. So Cohen, of course, is fundamentally rooted in Ju Judaism. That's the beginning and the end of everything. But he has intense curiosity about these other deep religious um, systems where the written word is at the very center of the faith system.
That's a famous photo. And there's a lot of things that people may have never seen in here, such as the, the, the letters and all the, the personal drawings. What does this exhibit, what do you hope this exhibit will teach people about Leonard Cohen that they don't already know because there's been so much about him, but this is different? Yeah. I think it's a great question. I think we're not seeking to tell a single unified story about Cohen. That's, in a sense, impossible. But I'm hoping that everyone that comes to see the show can take their own sort of understanding or impression away with them of who Cohen was. I mean, for example, there are incredible um, self-portraits and photographs that Cohen made beginning in a very intensive way in the mid-1960s where he's using the camera as an instrument of self-exploration, a way to actually document his emotional and inner life. Uh, and, and that's something that is an extraordinary mirror or kind of a counterpoint to the written word. And in, there's a very important journal um, in the exhibition from um, the 1968-69, which is when he was living in Nashville, Tennessee, and beginning to record his second and third albums. And you can see the way that he interrogates himself with the photographic um, image. And uh, he, there's a, a picture of him in a picture that he makes in, in the Noel Hotel in Nashville where there's he inscribes it forlorn harvest of self-portraits and on the table in his in his hotel are dozens and dozens of photographs that he's making of his immediate environment so this is a very good example of how he um, goes deeply, deeply into this system of self-examination of self and self-exploration through the camera as well as the written word while we're here, we should point out that there is almost like a, a sexting picture. Why did you include that? Well, this is this is simply what well, Cohen had throughout his life, a very sort of uncomfortable relationship with his self-image. He had, a, in a way, a form of body dysmorphia, which he writes about and talks about. And we're standing now looking at two um, close-up photographs of his torso, where you see from his nether regions up to the top of his, his chest. And there are two photographs that have been removed underneath that might have been uh, more explicit, actually. We don't know. We've never recovered them. But it, it, when you look at the rest of the page, in the album, you can at least see um, the extent to which he's using the camera as an instrument of self-exploration. Here we've got photo booth portraits, just like uh, the kind that you see Andy Warhol using in the 1960s as well. So Cohen is not doing something that's entirely isolated, but he is using an available technology to tell his own life story. And, you know, Cohen's work is fundamentally all about his own life experience. That is what the all of his material is drawn from his his self-examination and his inner life and that's why this this exhibition shows you um, the, the the recordings of that inner life through both the written word and through um, uh, imagery like this and for example it's mentioned in some of the biographies and oral histories that Cohen um, had a sort of fascination with guns but through photographic images in the show we can actually see that he's taking the trouble um, of making making photographs of the gun counter at, uh, at the hardware store in Nashville, Tennessee, and writing out why he finds um, the sort of the engineering of the gun so fascinating. And this goes all the way back to his emotional loss as a young boy of his father, who was, in the, who was part of military life and who, you know, had guns in the household. And Cohen was sort of 
it, it gave Cohen a fascination with with guns and militarism throughout his life. It's why he goes to Cuba in 1961 during the Bay of Pigs affair. It's why he goes to Israel in 1973 during the Arab-Israeli war. And there's an extraordinary postcard that he writes to his sister Esther from there when he, he's really talking about the tragedy of sort of human discord that he's seeing on the front lines in Israel. So he's there, um, of course, because of his deep connection with um, you know, Jewish traditions and, and the state of Israel. But, but it's, emotionally, it's complex for him because it's, it's this side of... It's it, very much so. And, it, and it's very, very much about his sort of the inner, the sort of struggle of opposites, which is a lot of what his life is about. But um, this is him. And he, you know, he talks about his experience in Israel as tragic human madness. You know, that's, that's his sort of three-word summary of what he's experiencing on the front line. So he's writing it to, you know, I'm entertaining troops in Sinai, Sharma el-Sheikh, Ismailia, etc. Morale high, but the war hurts. So... I've never been able to see this. We've read tons about it. And actually, just from my own personal feelings at the moment, how I'm feeling, seeing all this stuff, it, it brings him much closer to me than just watching a documentary on the airplane or reading, you know, Michael Posner's books. Uh, seeing that he kept all this stuff and he touched it is, is something different than going to a retrospective or a vernissage. Do you know what I mean? Yes, and I think uh, your, um, the way you said that, the fact that he touched it, that, that sense of the haptic transfer of, of presence is, is very palpable. I mean, here there are some beautiful, intimate color um, Polaroid photographs of him with his two children, Adam and Lorca, and their friends, family, dog, the Afghan Alfie. And you see him in that sort of intimate moment of the family life, which was a challenging environment for him. He was very much of an absentee father. It was a source of guilt for him, you know, because his sort of, he had this very peripatetic lifestyle and he wasn't really always present for his children. That was a source of great um, emotional unrest for him for, for throughout his life. Is this, do you think, the key sort of major, major attraction major. of this exhibit? The the Hallelujah Notebook. Yeah. Well, it's it's certainly um, a very uh, monumental, if informal looking, very monumental object because you can see him uh, numbering his the verses here and beginning to lay out the language for uh, this song, and um, everything about it is. Uh, very typical of the way that Cohen worked. We know from looking at the archive closely that he was an obsessive revisionist, always, always honing, like a sort of bringing po a high polish to the gem, uh, honing the language to get it just right. Um, unlike his great sort of compadre and competitor Bob Dylan, who was known for rattling off his songs, you know, rather quickly between the sort of hotel and the airport, Cohen would take, you know, months, if not years, to, to complete some of his most famous songs because he was a perfectionist and wanting to find again the exact language to match the emotion that he was trying to convey but it needs to be said that this is just the tip of the iceberg of what the archive contains i mean there are it's 500 terabytes of data i mean they've scanned a lot of it now and um there's a, a, a very strong understanding of the the depth and range of the things that cohen kept and so there's um, amazing opportunity for future generations of scholars and, and um, specialists to, to learn more about Cohen. And we know that this is one of the, the great cultural figures um, of our recent times, and, and he will remain relevant for many generations to come.
And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Today's listener shout-out goes to Rabbis Jared Grover and Zev Spitz of Toronto. They're embarking on a unique fundraising effort for that Israeli family whose two young sons were murdered in the car ramming at a Jerusalem bus stop last week. I'll have more on this in the coming show. Thanks for listening to the CJN Daily. Monday is family day here, so we're off. We'll be back Tuesday. It is so wonderful to see you arrayed in these great numbers. How goodly are thy tents and thy dwelling place, O house of Israel. Matovu echolech hayakov mishkenosecha Yisrael. So, dear friends, give a rechafa, Adonai v'yishmerecha. Yoer Adonai p'no v'lecha v'yikunecha. Yiso Adonai p'no v'yecha v'yisim lecha. Shalom. <laughs>